0: <laughs> right let's just pray before we start lord we just ask now that your holy spirit will just give us clarity of thought well thank you for your word thank you lord that there's so much in it and that it, it is simple it's just a question of pulling it together right that's all and your holy spirit helps us to do that so lord just be with us now and really bless us from your truth thank you lord amen, amen. right well for those of you who are here for the first time, you've come in right on the tail end of a series that we've been doing on the whole subject of salvation. And in fact, you come into the penultimate one. This is the last but one in the series, and this is number 24. So you can appreciate how long we've been going at it, but then we have wanted to ask what is salvation and to really answer it thoroughly. And what we've done is that we've seen, we saw that salvation is past, present and future. We've seen that in past salvation, we looked and and had loads of studies on how it was that Jesus actually brought salvation about. We've looked at present salvation, seeing that once God has set us free from the penalty of sin, he then wants to set us free from the power of sin and that's present salvation that's going on throughout our lives and then last time we finished the third phase which was looking at future salvation and we saw what happens when you die we saw things like when do you get your glorified body exactly when we saw the incredible details that the bible gives us about it we saw the role of the old testament believers in the future we looked at the time when the antichrist is raised up after the church is in heaven we've seen the thousand-year reign of christ all in incredible detail and then last time we followed it right through to the destruction of the universe as we know it and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth and heaven god's home descending and landing on earth our home which is the eternal state so we covered in great detail we have covered over 23 (coughs) studies we've answered the question what is salvation and that what we need to move on to now is quite simply this and it's that if the most important question in the universe is are you saved and believe me that is the most important question in the universe but the second most important question in the universe can only therefore be can that salvation therefore ever be lost? we've got to ask that we've got to answer that question We've got to know whether it's true that if we are saying that we are saved because we've turned to Jesus and that he has saved us, we've got to find out if there is ever any circumstance where that salvation could be lost and how we could yet end up eternally in the lake of fire. Let me start this fourth fourth phase of the series by immediately answering that question no salvation cannot as I will show you under any circumstances be lost and we have seen over these months in fact over a year we've been doing this really because we've only been doing it every now and then not you know in a sort of a completely consecutive way we have seen that the very nature of salvation is such that it can't be lost And I'm going to show you that the whole idea is absolutely daft. You might sooner ask why you can't have a triangle with four squares. than you might ask, can salvation be lost? We're going to see it's a nonsense question. Now you remember way back at the start of the series when we were looking at past salvation when we were looking at what jesus accomplished on the cross you'll remember that we saw that the problem that mankind had was fourfold i'm not going to go into what they they were we haven't got time but you'll remember we went through the fact that as i put it there were four electric fences that separated man from God. There were four things that separated sinful man from God and that we describe these things as electric fences which there was no way you could get over them. We couldn't even get over one let alone all four. But what we saw was how in Jesus's death in actual fact what happened was that he demolished each one each electric fence, each part of the barrier was absolutely and finally demolished by Jesus. And in fact we saw that it was demolished not just for us who are Christians, but in fact it was demolished for everybody, unbelievers as well. And that what we then saw is that through the death of Jesus, where that barrier once stood, where those four electric fences once were separating mankind from God, that now, in their place, instead of them, stands Jesus himself. And that Jesus stands there as the door to the sheep. And the door is open for anybody to walk through. And you walk through by faith. You walk through simply by believing in Jesus the only divide since the moment that Jesus died on the cross the only barrier between a lost world and God is Jesus himself and he is not a barrier but he is the door of the sheep that is wide open go to John chapter 3 and let's just have a look Refresh our memories here because we're establishing the nature of salvation very quickly so that we can see how silly it is, the idea that it can be lost. And in John 3 (coughs) verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And you'll see there immediately the reason why there are people who are condemned isn't because of their sin, Jesus dealt with their sin when he died on the cross. It's because they haven't believed in Jesus, because they haven't gone through the door and therefore they are lost. But what we need to see is that the whole thing accomplished by Jesus himself and that we simply walk through by believing in him. And that this walking through is faith. It's believing and that is all go to romans 5 let's just re-establish this all this we've covered in greater detail but let's have a quick look again paul says therefore since we are justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ go to 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 For our sake he, that is God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now can you see all this being done by God? Not what we've done, but what God has done through Jesus. Go to Galatians. Those of you who are here for the first time, Bible studies here are Genesis to Revelation quite literally because the Word of God is Genesis to Revelation. Galatians 5 verse 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision, that's what you do. When people got circumcised, they did it and somebody else did it. Paul says, it's none of that. At all that is of any avail but faith working through love. Why does faith work through love? Well, because God is love. God set the whole thing up. Therefore, our faith works through love because you're working your way into God Himself. And God is love itself as well. Go over to Philippians. What we're interested in here is the fact that it's by faith alone, it's simply walking through the door of Jesus as our salvation, Philippians 3 verse 8. (coughs) Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse. And uh, earlier on in the series we established that the Greek word was dung. Alright? You know, the translators are more polite than the Holy Spirit is. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. One last one, Colossians, chapter 3. Starting with verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, uh, if, in the Greek language if has four meanings there are four different ways of doing if, this particular one means if and you have, alright that's what this one means if and you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth, but get this, for you have died And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's the rapture, and that is getting our glorified bodies. But can you see? Paul says, you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, this is what some people call our double security. And we're going to be seeing, not that we have just got eternal security, but we have got double security eternal security for the simple reason we have been put in Christ and Christ has been put in God can you see Jesus is in God we are in Jesus now that's the double security that you and I have because salvation depends as we have seen over the last 23 studies upon what Jesus has done and not upon what any of us do We therefore receive salvation, because this is the nature of the beast. We receive salvation as a free gift. If we didn't, salvation then could only... Be by works. And you've got to understand this. It's one or the other. It's salvation by faith in Jesus, or it's salvation by works. If it's not all of Jesus, and if you don't receive it as an absolutely free gift, which means you do nothing except simply receive it, if it's not that, then the reality would be that it would have to be salvation by works. And as we all know, that is an absolute heresy. <clears throat> now, we saw what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae how he talks about us being our life is hid with Christ in God and we use the phrase believing in Jesus and in fact again in the Greek when you get these phrases believe in Jesus or some believe on the Lord Jesus but the idea of believing in or being in Christ and in Christ is one of Paul's favorite phrases the actual Greek Contains the idea not just of believing in Jesus, but of believing into Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I was brought up just a mile up there, all right, down there in Rolling Valley, and there were some shops right by a station. And when I was a kid, you know, mummy used to, you know, sort of trot round the shops, and of course I was just a toddler, I'd have to go with her. And the shops were right by the entrance to Rolling Valley Station. Now, I was obsessed with trains. And of course, being an overland section of the underground, what happened was that the trains would draw in with the automatic doors. Now, if I ever saw my chance, if I ever saw a train pull in the station, if I knew that I had time, I'd pull my hand out of mum's hand, I'd belt into the station, I'd jump on the train before the door shut and in fact down here at Chigwal, I mean the station master it was quite regular for him to be taking me off the train and phoning mum at home because I did it so often now can you see I love trains and that what happened was that I, I believe I, I was so committed I was so determined I thought trains were so great that I literally believed myself into trains nothing Would keep me away from it. Now that's exactly the same as with the Lord. You believe into Jesus. And the point is that when you receive him as your saviour. You are then in him. You've believed into him. But the point is that once you have done that. Once you have believed yourself into Jesus. You can never ever get out. Go to John chapter 10 because what we're going to concentrate on now are some places in the scripture where it is definitely clearly unmistakably taught that salvation can never ever be lost and john's gospel chapter 10 we're going to have a look of look at a few let's start off in john 10 and verse 25 now this is jesus speaking He says, I uh, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Now can you see, you and I are in the Lord's hands quite literally. And what Jesus is saying here, that there is nothing, there is no one that can snatch you out of God's hands. And if you think about it, it makes sense. The reason, in fact, that it's impossible for you to ever be out of the Lord's hands is that being part of the body of Christ, we're the fingers. Can you see? There's no way we can ever be snatched out of Jesus' hands. We are the fingers of his hands. And what he says when he goes on to say, My Father is greater than all, what he is saying... He said, no one can snatch you, at, you know, can snatch them out of my, my hands. And then he says, Father is greater than all. And the picture is like, do you know in the, um, sort of like when you were young, sort of maybe in, in, in infant school, and sort of perhaps you were bullied, you see, and your only defense was to say, if you touch me, I shall get my dad, and my dad's bigger than you, and my dad will beat you up. That, you know, that was the only defense you had. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, Father is bigger than anyone, and if anyone does try to snatch you out of my hand, then Father is going to beat them up. So can you see that what is happening is we're seeing here that under no circumstances can sheep, i.e. people who have become Christians, ever, ever be out of Jesus' hands. They can never lose their salvation. Now, the idea that some propagate, that you can jump out yourself, is too daft for words. And I'm not going to spend any time on it. Go to John chapter 6 now. John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Now ask yourself a question. Do you believe Jesus always did God's will? If you don't, you're a heretic, all right? You believe that Jesus always does God's will. Listen to what Jesus says God's will is. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but should raise it up at the last day for this is the will of my father that everyone who sees the son and believes in him that's you and I that's every believer every believer who sees me and believes who sees the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day and of course what Jesus is talking about there is receiving the glorified body at the rapture and Jesus is saying that there is no possible way that any believer can fail to get there can you see that there is no question no one no believer is possibly ever going to get lost go to John chapter 17 have a look at the prayer of Jesus John 17 verse 7 now they know that everything that you have given me is from you for I have given them the words which you gave me and they have received them and know in truth that I come from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours and all, your, all mine are yours and all yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I'm no more of the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition now we're going to be dealing with Judas next time so just lay him aside we're going to be dealing with him next time but go down into verse 20 notice that Jesus's prayer is that no believer should ever be lost and he says I do not pray for these only but for those who believe in me through their word that's us that they may all be one even as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory which you've given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them you in me, that they may may become perfectly one so the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. Father I desire that they also whom you give me may be with me where I am to behold my glory which you've given given me in your love for me before the foundation of the world. Now can you see Jesus is there praying that every believer will make it to glory. There's something you've got to realize. If you were to ask me to pray for you or if I was to ask you to pray for me those prayers might not be answered and they might not for different reasons we are sinners we might be out of fellowship we might not have the faith there is no guarantee that our prayers are going to get answered because of our own sin and weakness but I tell you there is one person who always gets his prayer answered and it is Jesus and Jesus prayed for us that we will make it to glory Now, is Jesus' prayer going to be answered or not? Yes, it is going to be answered. And if you say, all but some might be lost, that means that Jesus' prayer wasn't answered. And when, might I ask you, was Jesus out of fellowship with Father through sin? Oh dear, you're into heresy again. Can you see how absolutely clear this is? from the Bible. But there's even more, because here we have a record of something Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago. But in Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is now our great high priest. Do you know what? He's still praying this for you and me. He's been praying it for 2,000 years. Do you really think that God isn't going to answer his prayer? Of course not. We are going to get there. There is no question whatsoever. Something else in the scriptures, we're called children of God, and we're called sons of God. Let me explain the difference to you in this, uh, because this confuses people. You see... Some people think that children of God includes men and women, but sons of God are just men. Now, that isn't the point at all. We are all of us male and female children of God, if we follow Jesus, but we are also all of us sons of God. And the difference being that we're children of God because we've been born again, but the idea of being sons of God is precisely the same as the fact that Jesus was the son of God. To the Jewish mind and to the Old Testament, the point about being son of meant that you were as good as the Father. In Jewish families when the son was born that son grew up to represent the very Father himself. So therefore the phrase Son of God when speaking of Jesus meant that he was absolutely God himself. Alright? That he absolutely had everything that the Father had. And the point about us being sons of God as well is that the inheritance, everything Father has, is ours too. Alright? So that's a distinction. We're children of God, we're born again, and we're his literal children. But we're sons of God, because one day we're going to get the inheritance. And the inheritance is that eventually, in glorified bodies, we will be exactly like Jesus himself. But go to John chapter 1. Let's just follow this theme through that we are children and we are sons of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received him, this is talking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave power. Now there are two Greek words for power. One is dunamis, all right? Now that's use of the power of the Holy Spirit. It means dynamite. That isn't this word here. The word here is exousia, and it means the right, all right? The legal right. So herefore, what we've got, all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Go to Romans Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 15. And Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Papa. Terrible translators. I don't know what they get up to. Why they can't just translate the, the Greek into the English? I really don't know. Abba, Father. Oh, It sounds so formal, doesn't it? In the Greek, it says, When we cry, Papa, Papa, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him can you see we are sons we are in the family we have been born again and go to 1 john the first epistle of john and chapter 3 again verse 1 see what love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know is that it did not know him. But beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And he's saying that we are God's children now. But of course, one day when Jesus appears at the rapture and we are glorified like him, then our full inheritance will be received. But the point is, we are children of God. We have been born into the family of God by the Holy Spirit and God is literally our Father. Now, the question is this, or not the question, the point is this, you cannot... Under any circumstances, stop being your father's child. You can leave home. You can hate him. You can even change your name by D-Pole. But nothing can ever, ever change the fact that you are your father's child. You cannot stop being your father's child. Now it follows also, therefore, that if a father leaves his child an inheritance, by law the inheritance will get to that child. Even if the child whom the inheritance has been left to doesn't want to be the child of the father. Nothing can change the fact that he is that father's child. Therefore, the inheritance is going to come to him, whether he likes it or not. Now, there are only two things that could change that scenario. The first one is that the father could disown his son and therefore not leave the inheritance to him. That would mean that the child doesn't get the inheritance. But you see, God hasn't decided to do that. God has said precisely that he won't do it. So that doesn't change anything. The only other thing that could prevent that child receiving the father's inheritance is if they die before they get it. But you see, the glorious thing about the Bible, the glorious thing about what Jesus has done, is that you get the full inheritance when you die. So even dying isn't going to stop you getting the inheritance, you see. So therefore, can you, you can't get out of salvation no matter how hard you try. I'm sorry, but you can't. I hope you're not disappointed. But this is what the Bible says. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We spent a lot of time in this passage uh, when we were dealing with present salvation. And in verses 5 to 11, you get this, I won't read it all, but it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not lose courage when you're punished, for the Lord disciplines whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And you see, the point is that we are even, as Christians, we are even disciplined because... We are sons of God. Can you see that? And that even if a belief falls away and Christian fall away let's not deny i mean the bible talks about demas who fell in love with this present world let's not kid ourselves there are christians who fall away i know people who were spirit-filled believers and now they are back in the world they've turned their backs on jesus all right but you see the point is even when a believer does that and then really gets disciplined by god the only that itself is proof that they are his children and are saved even when you get believers who eventually carry their rebellion so far that they eventually arrive at the sin unto death and you remember we've seen this in you know in in past studies quite simply when God gets to the point he says I can't get any joy out of you at all you're so rebellious you better come home and God actually will kill them and take them home to be with glory to be in glory with him so even when a believer goes so far as to sin unto death that is still the proof that it's discipline therefore that's the proof that they're God's children and even if that extreme measure happens to them they immediately go straight to be with the Lord in heaven and we've looked uh, at earlier studies at the example of King Saul and Ananias and Sapphira so even the sin unto death for really rebellious fallen away believers is proof that even they Absolutely forsaken the Lord, though they are, having absolutely forsaken him, even they are still saved because salvation cannot be lost. And there's one more problem with this as well. Will someone please tell me how you get unborn again? (laughs) <laughs> will someone show me that I know that there are Christians who believe that you can lose your salvation but if there are any of you here can you show me where the Bible teaches you can get unborn again of the Holy Spirit can you? I'm showing you how ridiculous the whole notion is now let's have a look at something else you go to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians and chapter 1 and we're going to have a look at the teaching in the Bible about the fact that as believers, when you became a believer, when you received Jesus as your Saviour, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has commissioned us. He has put his seal upon us and given us his Spirit in our hearts. As a guarantee. Goes to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, and find verse 13. And Paul says, In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, this were here, Paul talks about the fact that we were sealed. And that the ho- when we were sealed, we were sealed in the fact that the Holy Spirit was given to us, and he, he's been given to us for a hundred things. But one of the things he was given to us for was that he would be the seal and the guarantee that we shall make final absolute salvation and the Greek word for guarantee there is arabon and what it refers to was the king's seal in the ancient world now what you sort of had is is that in the ancient world, when a king, I mean, they didn't have very reliable mail services then, all right, you know, I mean, they didn't have the GPO. I don't know whether it would have been an improvement if they did, but they didn't have the GPO. Therefore, it was always risky to send any kind of communication. Now, when a king sent a communication, of course, there had to be a guarantee that that communication got there and they would have a signet ring and when they wrote the letter or the papyrus or whatever it was they would get hot wax on the ring and well, they pour the hot wax and seal that communique and then they stamp it with the signet ring of the king. Therefore that communication was sealed with the king's signet, signet ring. Now what that seal involved was two things it involved firstly ownership It was saying, this is the property of the king. And therefore, secondly, it involved security. Because if anyone interfered with a communique sent from the king, the punishment was immediate death. It was a capital capital punishment sentence. So therefore, in the ancient world, When a king sent a letter with his seal on it, it definitely arrived where it was headed for. And in precisely the same way, we will arrive at full and ultimate salvation because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Go to Revelation chapter 5. Let's just have a quick look about God's seals. Uh, Because God has various things that he seals, you know, he wants them secure, you see. And we're interested in finding out, can these seals be opened by anyone else but God? In Revelation 5, verses 1 to 5, uh, where jo- John has been taken into heaven and he's gone forward in time to the rapture. All right. So that what you've got is that that from chapter five onwards, you've got the unfolding, the chronology of the events of the great tribulation and the antichrist that is happening on earth while the church for those seven years are in heaven and what we're going to see now is the scroll that as it was unrolled each bit of the scroll was a judgment that god poured out on the earth revelation 5 verse 1 i saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I wept much that no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Weep not, lo, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And can you see the point here is that only Jesus can open something that God has sealed. Can you see there is no one, there is nothing that can prevent us arriving in heaven with the Lord? Now here, it's quite interesting. When you get this thing, they say, who's worthy to open the seals? And they look around heaven, and no one is there worthy. And then suddenly they're saying, hang on, wait a minute, Jesus has arrived. He's worthy. Where was Jesus? What I'll tell you, when the scroll was taken out, Jesus was still on his way back from collecting the church at the rapture. You see, so Jesus turns up with the church. And therefore, we discovered it's Jesus and Jesus alone who can open it. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 27. Jesus says... Do not labour for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, that the Son of Man will give to you. For on him has God the Father set his seal. Jesus has been sealed by God. What does that mean? It means that no one, but no one, can touch him. Go now back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what does that mean? It means that no one can touch you. All right, we, because we are sealed with God the Father's own seal, are as safe as as Jesus is and I'll tell you the chances of you if so be you are a believer ending up in the lake of fire are precisely the same as the chances of Jesus ending up in the lake of fire doesn't that make you feel nice i'm really pleased about this now also there's something else you remember we saw that that word guarantee in the greek was arabon a guarantee a seal But what's interesting is that in modern Greek, arabona, same word, just with an A on the end, arabona is an engagement ring. And the the point is that we, because we are believers and therefore members of the church, we are betrothed to Christ. We are going one day, and remember, we've seen exactly when that is, in past studies, we are going to become the bride of Christ. And we saw that in Jewish weddings, they didn't have an engagement as a trial period. But that when you became, when you got betrothed, When you ask someone, will you marry me? And they say, yes, I will. That betrothal was binding. It wasn't a trial period to see how you got on. It was binding. It was irrevocable. And nothing less than a divorce could actually get you out of it, even though you hadn't been married. Jewish engagement in the Old Testament was irrevocable. Therefore, the point is, we are betrothed to Jesus. When we got converted we were engaged to Jesus by virtue of becoming part of his church and because it's irrevocable we will make the marriage of the lamb which we've seen happens in heaven at the end of the seven years while the tribulation is on earth the marriage takes place and then down to earth for the marriage supper of lamb of the Lamb which kicks off the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we've seen, obviously, that we will make it to that marriage, to the Lamb, because we've been sealed, we are betrothed to Jesus. Let's just look at one or two other scriptures which are positively positively showing us that salvation can't be lost. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4. And Paul says, I give thanks to God always for you, because of the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's that? Well, it's the rapture. We're all waiting for Jesus to reveal himself. All right. And he says, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why guiltless? Well, because your sin is covered. You're guiltless before God because your sin has been covered. It's been atoned for. I refer you to the beginning of this series. All right. And he goes on to say, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. And Paul says, Who will sustain you to that day? As simple as that. Goes to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I am sure, and in the Greek this is certainty, this isn't wishful thinking, the Greek here communicates certainty, Paul is utterly positive, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, and when you got converted, God began a good work in you, it will be brought to completion. Absolutely. let go to 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 8. And he says, Don't be ashamed of testifying to our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, But take your share of suffering for the gospel in the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not in virtue of our works, but in virtue of his own purpose and and the grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus ages ago, and now has manifested through the appearing of our saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, and therefore I suffer as I do but i'm not ashamed for i know and again this is certainty in the greek i know whom i have believed and i am sure that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me paul says yeah no problem Paul is teaching eternal security. He teaches that salvation cannot, under any circumstances, be lost. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy we have been born anew, born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is that? It's that one day you'll be glorified like Jesus in a glorified body, who by God's power, now listen to this, he says, us, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We are guarded. We are guarded so that we will make this salvation, and we are guarded by the power of God. Is anything greater than the power of God? No, of course not. And having said that, he says, in this you rejoice. Now, would he be saying in this you rejoice if there was a possibility that salvation could be lost? Absolutely not. One last one. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18. Now listen to this. I like this. This is a goodie. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil and save me for his glorious kingdom. Now, we've seen that the Greek for salvation, the word salvation, the verb sozo, it just means to save or to deliver. The idea being that you are saved from something, whatever that something is. But here, it's different. It's not meaning that. Let's read it again. The Lord will rescue me from every evil and save me for his heavenly kingdom. He's not saying that he will be saved from evil. He says, God's going to, be, he's going to rescue me from evil, but he's going to save me for his kingdom. And that what you've got here isn't the idea of being rescued. It's not us being saved. It's the idea that God is saving us up for salvation. Like you, know, you save up your money so that one day you've got it. And in exactly the same way, Jesus is saving us up for eventual and final salvation in eternity. Go to Hebrews, Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7, verse 23, and this is sort of kind of talking about Jesus as being our great high priest. Well, we'll start at verse 23, Hebrews 7:23. The former priests were many in number. This is sort of showing how Jesus' priesthood was the real thing. But the Israeli priesthood in the Old Testament was merely to prefigure it. So when Jesus came, it all faded away so it had done its job. It wasn't needed anymore. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. See? They died. Fat lot of good that is. But he holds his priesthood permanently. The reason being Jesus has already died. <laughs> you see, and he rose again from the dead. He'll never die again. Consequent, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, in my version, it says for all time. Not a very good translation. The Greek word is panteles, and it means finally or completely, or utterly. So the best translation is that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So that what we're seeing here is that Jesus' salvation for us is absolutely to the uttermost. Keep your finger in there, but just go to Luke 13. Because this word "pantelis" in Luke 13, we've got the negative form of it. And we're actually going to see what the opposite of Panteles means. And that will give us an idea of what uh, Panteles itself does mean. And in Luke 13 and verse 11, um, we read this. This was the woman who came to Jesus, who was all bent up. She was twisted, okay? And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made... Sorry, verse 11. And the woman came who had a spirit of infirmity for, eight, for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. But when Jesus saw her, he called her and said, Woman, you are freed from your infirmity. He laid his hands upon her. Immediately she was laid straight, made straight. Now the opposite of Panteles is in there. She could not fully straighten herself. The negative form of Panteles is here, not fully. So this woman, she couldn't fully straighten herself up. She was bent. So therefore, the opposite of not fully is absolutely. If I stand up straight, I am totally 100% straight. And panteles means just that, that if Jesus saves us to the uttermost, panteles, then there is nothing at all that can ever undo that. It is full, it is complete, and it is utterly final. And that what we are seeing, quite simply, is that salvation is absolutely foolproof. It has to be. We're fools. We'd fall out if it wasn't. It's got to be foolproof. But more than that, it's sinner-proof. But that was the very thing that it had to be designed to be from the very start the net was built was made to catch sinners the holes are of just the right size to ensure that not one of them can ever slip through the net so therefore it's sinner proof we are absolutely safe in Jesus Romans 8 and this is kind of this is the consummate a passage in the Bible dealing with this. Romans 8 and verse 31. Now this is Paul, who in Romans 4 through to Romans 8 has been systematically dealing with the question of salvation. This is the climax of his teaching on salvation by faith. Now listen to what he says. What shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? It's a rhetorical question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies who is to condemn. Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Now, count the number of things he says. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword... As it's written, For thy sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved, loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth if Paul had had a better memory this chapter would have gone on for, this verse would have gone on for the rest of the Bible he's chucking in everything he can possibly think of uh, uh, nor powers nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord can you see it salvation cannot under any circumstances, be lost. (coughs) However, up until a few years ago, I was in fact one of those people who believed that it could be. That if you fell away, that you would lose your salvation. And it's been through understanding the Bible better that I've come to realise how wrong that that was. But what's interesting is that through those years that I believed it, almost subconsciously, I spent those years with a fear inside of me. Think about it. If there's yet a chance that you can end up in the lake of fire, who's going to sleep tonight? I'm not. And it put a fear in me, a fear that one day I might be lost. Go to one John chapter 4 because the rest of this talk and the one that we're doing next time is now to show you in actual fact how awful it is to teach that salvation can be lost find 1 John 1 John 4 verse 17 he says in this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the Day of Judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. He's saying, look, this is about having confidence on the Day of Judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And he who fears is not perfected in love. Now, can you see, John is saying that the very reason as Christians that we can know love and be at peace Is because there is absolutely no need for fear, because fear is to do with eternal punishment, and we will never ever face eternal punishment. Can you see that if you believe that you can lose your salvation, you believe that one day it's possible that you might face eternal punishment, and therefore you cannot be perfected in love? Because the fear of that possibility is going to still be in you somewhere, even if it's subconscious. And that what you've got to understand is that it is Satan who wants people, Christians, to believe that salvation can be lost. The idea that salvation can be lost, even through falling away, is in actual fact a doctrine of demons. It is not what the Bible teaches at all. It is a false teaching, and it is designed to put fear in believers when their inheritance is perfect is perfect love and it is designed to enable them to be at peace so jesus can reveal his life through them fully think about it we're saying salvation cannot be lo- lost and i'm now going to try and show you the reality of what life would be for you as a christian if salvation could ever be lost because you see the thing hmm. is this if salvation could be lost by falling away from Jesus, what guarantee do you have that you will never fall away? Now, don't be too quick to say, oh, but I wouldn't fall away. Don't, don't be too quick to say that, and I'm going to tell you why. I've been a Christian for 17 years. I have never fallen away. I have never come close to falling away. I have always found Jesus quite wonderfully worth following. It has never occurred to me, even in the hardest times, to go against him and to leave him and to stop following him. All right. And I have no intention, whatever, of doing it either. But the thing is this. Just supposing that tomorrow the Lord took Blinda home. Now that would devastate me as it would anyone. But in that devastation, I could find the strength and comfort that I needed in the Lord, and knowing that Belinda was happy with him in heaven. But you see, the point is this. Supposing she got killed by someone running her over, and supposing I was so angry and so bitter that I wouldn't forgive that person, and supposing that then, in my grief and in the tragedy, I then became embittered and sour against God, Christians do, it can happen, therefore I might well end up actually having fallen away and backslidden from God, and not one of you can say with any guarantee that it would never happen to you, I don't want it to happen, it doesn't have to happen, but we are sinners and sometimes in extreme circumstances like that, how would you be If it was your little girl who was on that school bus that the IRA blew up, how would you feel? Now, I would not condone any Christian who couldn't forgive them if it was their daughter, and I certainly wouldn't condone them for falling away. But I would be very, very slow to say, Oh, I wouldn't do that, because I would have never been in the situation that caused them to do it therefore in a situation like that are you then really going to say that that person is lost and what I want you to understand it could happen to any of us absolutely any of us no matter how much we love the Lord at the moment look be realistic I know myself and you should know yourself and the truth is quite simply this If salvation depended in any way whatsoever on me continuing to be faithful, I'm not sure that I'm in with a terrific chance. Because if salvation could possibly be lost, I know myself well enough to know that I am just the type of person who would lose it. And I think that if you were honest, you'd have to say that you are as well. And in case you're thinking this is a little bit too much, let me remind, yourself, remind you that Paul spoke of himself. He says, who I am the chief of sinners. Not I was, but I am. Paul knew himself. He knew that there were no guarantees for him either. either. You see, if salvation can be lost, it makes it depend finally, not on Jesus at all, but it makes it depend upon ourselves. Look, if there's no eternal security, if salvation can be lost, then quite frankly, we are no better than the JWs. We are no better than the sectarian movements. And you will notice that one of these strains of belief that runs through, whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or whatever, is that finally, they will only know whether they are actually saved when they die. Because they have to get converted, in inverted commas, but then they have to be faithful. And it's not until they die that they find out whether they've been good enough to actually reach final salvation after all. I'll tell you, there's no good news there. And if you don't believe in eternal security, you have got no good news to preach. If you don't believe that salvation can never be lost, then the gospel that you must preach is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you remain faithful till death, you shall be saved. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So if you don't believe in eternal security, at least be honest, and when you witness to people, tell them they might be. But don't tell them that they will be. The truth of the matter is that if you're lost tomorrow, there is no possible way that you were saved today. And believe me, I have believed on Jesus, and on the authority of the Bible itself, I say to you that I am saved. Praise and that that means that there is no possible way I can ever be lost. I remember once, actually, some JWs, not, not, well, no, I suppose... A few months ago now, they knocked on our door and I immediately sussed who they were. I mean, they're so obvious, aren't they? Um, you know, Mormons have black ties, that's how you know it's them. But, but the JWs are also immediately discernible, totally sniffable. And the first thing I said to them is, I said, you're liars. Now, it's not the best of greetings to get when someone opens the doors, but I mean, we're talking... Th- these guys need saving. And if, if we're not real with them, they're going to be lost. Alright, and it's no use arguing about theology. I just said to them, you're liars, and they looked at me in utter disbelief. And I said, you're going around telling people that you've got good news to preach. And I said, your good news is that you don't know if you're safe, whether you die or not, isn't it? (laughs) They can't deny it, because that's what they believe. And I said, stop conning people. I said, I could have you under the Trade Descriptions Act. I said, go around and tell them they might be saved. But don't say that you've got good news that they will be saved, because there's always that chance they might be lost. And can you see, it's exactly the same for us. If we don't believe in eternal security, I'll tell you, you haven't got a gospel to preach. You're like an astronaut who's going around the earth in orbit with a, a hole the size of a cannonball, In your spaceship. And all your life-giving air is going to go out into space and you have had it. And if the salvation that the Bible teaches can be lost, then I'll tell you, this entire content just gets sucked away. It's no good whatsoever. If it depends on us one millionth of one percent, it's no gospel. Because we're sinners. As I said, it is sinner-proof. If you have believed on Jesus, received Him as your Saviour, and be born again, you will be lost no matter what, no matter how you subsequently live. You will be saved. Oh, you will be saved no matter how you live. So, therefore, I've got to answer this question now. So, therefore, is it true that grace can be abused? Can it be true that you can get converted, get born again, then live as you like, and still get to heaven? Is that true? Can grace be abused? Of course it can! can. Of course it can! Because if it couldn't be abused, it wouldn't be grace! Can you get the point? And as soon as you start saying, oh, but if you fall away, you forfeit your salvation, then whatever salvation you believe in, it ain't by the grace of God! Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is by definition a free gift that you do nothing to earn. And if you did nothing to earn it when you got it, if when you got salvation it wasn't by being good, and believe me it wasn't, therefore how on earth can you lose it by being bad? The whole idea is an absolute nonsense. And you see, the thing is that lots of Christians, what they do, leaders in particular, is that that they would maintain that the threat of the loss of salvation in the Bible. I don't know where they see it in the Bible, but they maintain it's there. But they say that this threat of the loss of salvation in the Bible spurs us on to faithfulness. I'll tell you, that is rubbish. That is absolute gunk. I mean, I'll tell you, it cannot possibly be true, because if the Bible threatens us with the loss of salvation in order to spur us on to faithfulness, it's a totally lost cause. And the reason is that faithfulness that came about like that could never be true faithfulness. It would merely be obedience out of the fear of possibly ending up in the lake of fire. And it would then be serving the Lord and obeying the Bible, not because you love Him, but because of quite understandable self-interest. You don't want to end up in the lake of fire. <laughs> I'll be trying a lot harder. But I mean, I don't, I can, can you see, the whole idea is absolutely ridiculous. And there's something as well which I think is really, really odd. Now, I meet a lot of odd Christians. All right. I think Christians are weird, all right. But this is really odd. But it's more than odd, I find it a little bit frightening. And it's this, there are Christians who rather like the idea that salvation can be lost. I think that is horrible. And I'll tell you, those people who I know, who once served the Lord, who were spirit-filled Christians with whom I've had lovely fellowship in the past, and they were my friends, who are now living in sin, living in debauchery, just living absolutely the devil's life in the world. I am glad that they can't lose their salvation. I'm not missed about it at all. I'm not indignant about it. Why should they get there? For heaven's sake, that's ridiculous. I'm going to get there, but I don't deserve it. So the fact that they're being so rotten now, what possible difference does that make? And you see, the thing is, with these believers who are into you can lose your salvation if you're not faithful, and who kind of hang it over you, the reason they do it is because it makes them feel good, because they are being faithful. And you see, the truth of the matter is, we do like our sinful natures, love, to make our own little contribution to salvation, don't we? And that if we get glorified, isn't that a lovely thought, if we at least contributed to it a little bit? Well, I'll tell you, you won't contribute to it at all. Absolutely not. It's all of Jesus. It is pride, pure and simple. And this hanging, the threat of salvation over believers, in order to spur them on I will tell you it's not just that it isn't what the Bible says it is evil and it is satanic and there are believers who actually need deliverance from it because of the fear and the bondage that it's put them into for heaven's sake we really need to understand this it's so important and again I come back if anyone feels that salvation can be lost if you're not faithful again I throw out the question how can you be so sure that you aren't going to fall away and if you are so sure it can only be one thing that's making you so so sure it's pride and self-righteousness it's as simple as that and believe me better Christians than me and you have fallen away in the past that is just simply a fact Let me ask you, what father keeps his children in line by using the threat of kicking them out of the family if they don't toe the line? I'll tell you, no father worthy of the name does that to his children, and certainly not our Heavenly Father. We are saved Because we have received the gift that Jesus has won for us. We have believed on him, we are saved. It wasn't what we did, it wasn't because we were good or, or earned it, quite the opposite. To get salvation, you've got to admit that you can't earn it. So we got it without earning it, so you can't therefore lose it. By forfeiting it, can you see the whole idea is absolutely crazy? And God is hanging no threat over you at all. God wants us to live holy lives. I'm not giving you an excuse to live how you like, but remember, grace, by definition, can be abused. It's not my fault if you don't like that, you argue with God. Have it out with him in your quiet time tonight, or whatever you do before you go to bed. But don't blame me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Grace. Because its grace can be abused. But God, nevertheless, he wants us to live holy lives. Not because we'll be lost if we don't. But he wants us to precisely because the life of Jesus himself is available to us. So that we can. And the Bible spurs us on to holiness with assurance of salvation. Not with the threat of the loss of it. Now next time... And we've only got one thing left to do now in this series that we've done. And as we've seen in other studies, there are verses in the Bible that some Christians say, teach, that salvation can be lost. Now, most of them we've covered. And we've seen them all to exactly mean something else. We've covered them. But next time, I mean, we've seen the sin unto death, we've looked at the difficult passages in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 we've covered them but there are just a few a very few more that need to be covered and so next time we're just going to do the rest of the verses that we haven't covered that some say teach that you can lose your salvation and we will see from them that they absolutely 100% don't mean that in the slightest so come back next time and all will be revealed.